0: Oh, hello. I am C-3PO Human-Cyborg Relations, welcoming you to Star Wars Delusions of Grandeur, presented by the Journey Into podcast. As always, here are your hosts, the honourable and wise Master Marshall Latham, thoroughly decent and fair-minded to biologicals and droids alike, and his sour-tongued and oft-malfunctioning counterpart, Rish Outfield, an untrustworthy and despicable creature even R2 doesn't like. And he likes everyone. Oh my, I'd forgotten how much I hate podcasting. Ooh!
1: Hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Delusions of Grandeur here on the Journey Into podcast. Uh, where Rish Outfield and I uh, talk about Star Wars and all the things that are going on and try to come up with new things to share with you. Uh, you're going to get some of that here today. It's not original from Rish or original from me, um, but it may be something you haven't heard before. And uh, so we'll get into that. But uh, first of all, Rish, I, I thought maybe we'd talk about um, anything else Star Wars going on out there in the world.
2: Yes, to Marshall Latham you listen. Help you it will, save you it
0: can. Uh, yeah, this is Rish Outfield, and uh, let, let me put this on the table. Right now, in an alternate universe, you and I would be at the Star Wars celebration. Ah, uh, yes. By the time this episode an- uh, airs, it's the end of August, and that's when we would have been in Anaheim, and it would have been exciting and fun, and I, I, I don't know, maybe miserable, but that's part of everything. I remember one time Big and I drove to San Diego and we were driving through Baker, California at like 2 a.m. And it was 106 degrees at 2 (laughs) a.m. And we just had to pull the car over and say, how is this possible? Because both of us, in our experience, it got cool at night and the day is hot. But uh, we we don't have the celebration this year and uh, that's still a disappointment but there's always new Star Wars stuff and hopefully people enjoy listening to us talk about anything. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, yeah, I was talking to you right before we started recording about Star Wars news. There, there were a bunch of rumors that came out recently about like new shows that were going to be on Disney and that Dan, uh, Danny Glover, <laughs> um, he's too old for this show. <laughs> I said, Riggs, I'm too old to play Lando. Uh Donald glover was going to play lando in a disney plus show and then they got uh is his name eldon all all reich that he was going to Aaron reich all <laughs> see thank you he was going to come back and do, a, and do a follow-up to solo a star wars story on disney plus and i was super excited about this i couldn't wait to hear the details but there were no details it was just a rumor and as far as I know, Lucasfilm never said anything, about never commented Yeah, they never
1: did. In fact, I think someone, I can't remember who it was, may have uh, come out and said that they had heard nothing about it and they would hear something about it if it was going to happen. But I can't remember who that was. I don't think it was Ron Howard. I think it was somebody else. But anyway, yeah, I think that's, at this point, still just a rumor.
0: But there is going to be a series... Uh, I believe called The Bad Batch. Well, it's a spin-off of the Clone Wars show.
1: Right, yeah. The last season there, they did a little four-episode arc about The Bad Batch and just a group of clones that were kind of misfits and uh, kind of worked outside of the rest of the army. But, of course, now there is no army. So
0: When Order 66 happened, it didn't affect The Bad Batch?
1: i don't know that that's what i think will be interesting to find out is is what happened to them during order 66 cuz they 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 weren't involved in that storyline so maybe that's going to be part of what they're going to talk about in the show i i don't know how excited i am about that show they were interesting characters and all but uh i don't i don't know what else they're planning to do with that if Ahsoka's is going to be involved in that at all or any of the other characters or if it's just gonna be their own thing. But it would would be interesting, you know, there is no Republic Army anymore. There's the Empire starting up and how do, how do they fit in with that. So it could be interesting to watch. I just might not be waiting with bated breath for each episode to come out. <laughs> I might just wait a little bit and watch it in batches. Bad batches. I think the other yeah, you were also telling me that there was going to be a Rebels follow-up animated series, which I hadn't heard. So that that, that would be interesting to see what they're going to do with that.
0: I don't know anything about it. Uh, if it's just another season of Rebels or if it's going to be called like Star Wars Rebels colon something, or if it's just some of those characters will come back in a new show. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find the announcement and I don't, I don't see anything for it darn it yeah because
1: you know that that show ended with um you know after return of the jedi with uh, sabine and ahsoka gonna go look for ezra and try to find him because him and admiral Thrawn took off with the space whales to who knows where (laughs) so that was kind of how they ended that and i always thought well maybe those characters would end up showing up on mandalorian or some spin-off series of of that well, Ahsoka is
0: going to be on Mandalorian. And what's the other character from Clone Wars that you would always talk about? Oh, uh,
1: Bo-Katan.
0: Bo-Katan, yeah. They're, those those two are... Yeah. But that's a spin off of Clone Wars, not of Rebels, right?
1: Right. But it would be in that time frame where Rebels ended. Yeah, so I don't know if Sabine would be involved in that or, or what either. Maybe they're trying to save that one <laughs> since all these other... Leaks have come out.
0: Yeah. Have they said anything about doing a Star Wars celebration at home (laughs) where they would uh, have these announcements?
1: I haven't seen anything about that or gotten an email or even uh, on the Facebook because I joined the uh, Celebration Face Group page when I bought my tickets, which is mostly just like any other Facebook group. They just share memes and funny things about Star Wars or some announcements, but... I haven't seen anything on on that or gotten any emails about any online content.
0: Okay, well, it would be neat if they would do something that weekend that the celebration would have been. Yeah. If only just, you know, this is a video that we produced that we would have shown in front of an audience and you can see it now and a bunch of people
1: sitting around their webcams talking about stuff. Did you catch up on... uh anything from the san diego comic-con at home i didn't san diego emailed me a you know like a daily
0: breakdown of like all of the panels and things and uh, i didn't end up watching any of the videos i i don't know why i didn't do it it just didn't it didn't grab me in the same way as as normally you just watch like the hall h panels on youtube right because you couldn't be there. Um, in this case, it wasn't it wasn't special in that
1: way. Yeah, I did watch a, a Star Trek uh, Star Trek did a panel of all their upcoming shows with like Picard and Discovery and teasing the the Strange New World show. But yeah it was pretty ineffectual. I mean, they talked to different people and talked about a few things, but nothing. Nothing major, but it's always good to see Patrick Stewart. <laughs> so, well, this isn't a Star Trek podcast, but they did talk a lot about the new animated comedy uh, series that Lower Decks.
0: Out. I think it's called Lower
1: Decks, and uh, that might be interesting. I guess I'll have to check it out to to see how far they take it. Oh, I did want to tell <laughs> you about uh, the Mandalorian.
0: Got a bunch of mo- of Emmy nominations. Oh, which to me was really surprising. It got 15 Emmy nominations. Wow. And uh, I mean, I love Mandalorian. I think it's great, but it just didn't strike me as a show that would appeal to the, you know, the voters of the Television Academy. But it got nominated for Best Drama Series. Hmm. Outstanding Character Voice Over Performance <laughs> for Taika Waititi as IG-11. Outstanding guest actor in a drama series, uh, Giancarlo Esposito as Moff Gideon, in that oh, same sure. episode. Outstanding production design for a narrative program. Outstanding cinematography. Outstanding costumes. I guess there's a like a fantasy sci-fi category for co- costumes. I didn't know mm. that. Editing for a drama series. Makeup for a series. Uh, sorry, for a limited series, movie, or special. Uh, music for a sp- series, a original dramatic score, which is cool. That Ludwig Goranson that Big likes so much. Yeah. Getting his due there. Sound editing for a dra- drama. Sound mixing. Outstanding special visual effects. And then there's a stunt coordination Emmy, which mm. I think is interesting. I You know, there had always been a push to get a stunt category for the oscars and i always wondered why they didn't do that
1: yeah every year they seem to talk about that
0: there was a push against it people would say well you know there's already too many awards but so yeah they don't even show like the technical awards you could just announce who got it uh every year it would add 30 seconds to a three and a half hour show (laughs) but it looks like the emmys do have stent coordination awards and and that's neat but yeah it's just it's cool that people recognize the quality of that show besides us.
1: Yeah, especially those first few you mentioned cuz you know you kind of expect some of those production and costume and sound design and that kind of stuff from a a Star Wars production especially one that was done as well as The Mandalorian. But some of those other accolades of best dramatic series um best guest actor that's kind of stepping up above the technical there so that's kind of neat
0: yeah the, the drama series that it got nominated its competition is better call saul okay the crown the handmaid's tale killing eve ozark stranger things and Su- succession that's a lot <laughs> I, I just assumed that there would be like four other nominations.
1: Yeah, that's quite. I've I've heard of some of those shows, but still, you know, that's cool. I don't know if uh, um, Esposito has has he won a, Emmys for his other appearances anywhere? I don't know. I don't follow the Emmys well, too much. So
0: he did get a Best Supporting Actor nomination for Better Call Saul this year. Oh, okay, so he's in there. And, th- and that's what he's most famous for, is, is uh, Breaking Bad, that character that he played. Yeah, it says he's had three Emmy nominations, but it doesn't look like he won any so far. Huh. And yeah, just by the time this comes out, we'll be pretty close to the return of The Mandalorian. Uh, so
1: that'll be exciting. I think it's October that that premieres. We don't know the exact day in October, but... Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that, especially since we're not going to see anything in the theaters for, well, even if there wasn't the pandemic, you know, we weren't supposed to see any movies, Star Wars movies until, what, 2022. So it's nice to know that we have The Mandalorian to look forward to.
0: Well, was uh,
1: Taika Waititi's film, was it supposed to
0: be the next one?
1: I think so. Yeah, I think he was the the last director standing after they got rid of uh, the Game of Thrones guys. Did they get rid of them, or did those guys bow out, or what what happened with that? We'll probably never know. I, I know that they made a deal with, was it Netflix or one of the other channels, and then things seemed to break apart that they wouldn't be able to do both. But I don't know how it was orchestrated to come out in the media, but... It's always kind of interesting with those things. You never know what the real story is, even if they're announcing it to you, because they just want everybody to play nice, which is good. I mean, you don't want to start anything negative. Yeah, I
0: I don't want to get us off topic, but in a way, this is totally on topic. I got to see Irvin Kirshner before he died at a screening of Empire Strikes Back, and one of the questions that they asked him was, you know, How much pressure was on you While you were making this And he said I was aware That I was making a sequel To the most successful movie Ever made And there was so much pressure Internal pressure To to do justice to that first movie To make a movie that was as good as it But I had to be realistic You know That this wasn't going to be You know it wasn't going to supplant the most successful movie of history. I couldn't think of it that way. I just had to make the best movie that I could. And I, I wonder about everybody that has come since Kirshner, (laughs) if they have that same, that same onus, that same burden on their shoulders of, you know, this is the franchise and I'm in the driver's seat for it. And, Nothing is going to get scrutinized as deeply and heavily as this movie. And, and so something like that, the Benioff and Weiss, where they have a trilogy that they're supposed to be doing, is it easier to just back away and say, yeah, we're too busy, we're going to do this other thing because there's no way you can win Making a new Star Wars trilogy, no matter how successful it is or no matter how well received it is, or even if it's really good, it's just such a burden to make a Star Wars thing, you know, that's that's compared to the Holy Trilogy and all that, you know, uh, same thing with Ryan
1: Johnson. Yeah, they probably saw what happened with him and (laughs) said, we don't want any part of that.
0: I mean, it's it's open to argument. You know, people just hate Last Jedi. And yet I think it's the finest of all of those films.
1: <laughs> Me too. But,
0: but the idea that he's gotten death threats and that people spit when they say his name, I can understand saying it's just not worth it to make three more of these for you guys. Sorry. I can understand taking a, a step away and just saying, I I, I love Star Wars but working on star wars makes me love star wars less so i you know i can't do it i yeah i don't know it it's the most magical toy box to play in and yet i i i feel so bad for the people that feel like it's a dead end that it's a lose lose situation and and we talked about that when solo came out you know, how gracious poor Ron Howard was in like all the interviews and all the times when people would ask him questions, you know, it just, he, he tried to sound cheerful and grateful for this opportunity. But, you know, he, he's become an old man. And it's like, huh. does he really need this at the end of his career? And this kind of criticism and this kind of, you know, a magnifying glass on him. That's sad to me.
1: Yeah, you know, I I wonder how much that weighed on him too, seeing as that's the movie that killed Star Wars or whatever because <laughs> it did so bad in the the box office, but I don't think anybody can really blame him for that. I mean, he was the he had to come in and do the most impossible job ever, you know, just coming out of that. Well, I shouldn't say unscathed, but <laughs> I I don't think it's hurt his career necessarily. And uh, yeah, he, he, his public message was always positive. And if people said they didn't like it or didn't watch it because they didn't like Last Jedi, he said, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> Maybe next time you'll you'll watch it or whatever.
0: Well, it would be really cool if he got a chance to come back and work on those television projects. It would. And there's almost no doubt in my mind, that they would be better received than the solo movie would be, just for the the nature of television, the nature of long-term storytelling, because people were really open-minded when it came to Mandalorian. I've heard a couple people complain, but they're the tiny minority. You know, they're like that guy that didn't like Return of the Jedi that Siskel and Ebert tried to take to task, Oh, (laughs) you know, they're just so few people that didn't respond to Mandalorian or, you know, get excited about it or loved the child or the arc and and all that stuff. And I, I feel like a lot of the pressure would be off and maybe he could work with his daughter, which would be really cool that, you know, she did an episode of Mandalorian. and yeah. So I, I do hope that those happen again. And the, we, we've talked about it. We've done episodes where we talked about Solo. I don't personally feel like it was great, but it wasn't awful. It wasn't bad. You know, it, it had so much stacked against it. And maybe none of that would be in consideration if you were doing an eight episode series about Han Solo yeah. and an eight episode yeah. series about young Lando. And maybe an eight-episode series about... Oh, what's it called? What's the criminal organization that Kira is part of? Crimson Dawn. Because those are what were rumored, was that they were going to do those, that they were going to do... They were going to give Kira her own show and Han his own show and and Lando his own show. And and why not? If those actors are willing to do it, do it. But I don't know. Hopefully, that will all happen. And it will be one of those things. Like... Uh, Clone Wars, uh, where I was hanging out with my niece's boyfriend and he was telling me all about the Clone Wars and episodes that he loved and Ahsoka Tano's arc and and all that stuff. And he said that same thing that you hear over and over and over again, that watching the Clone Wars makes you appreciate the prequel trilogy in a way that you didn't before and and love those characters in a way that you didn't before because it's better (laughs) and a solo television series would do the exact same thing
1: yeah it's just better storytelling all around you know than the prequels yeah you know it would be interesting to see because i'm sure they've talked they talked about darth maul would would be part of that because he's the leader of the Crimson Dawn, so that would have been interesting to see how they pulled that off as well.
0: In the in the days that come, hopefully there will be announcements, and we'll have lots more to talk about there. Yeah, there there, there have been naysayers that say, you know, what has Disney done with the Lucasfilm license, and uh, you know, Kathleen Kennedy has botched it, et cetera, et cetera. There's just there's so many complaints. But one thing that I think we all can agree on is Disney spent so much money to obtain Lucasfilm that they're not just going to let it go. They're going to continue to come up with new ways to exploit the franchise. You know, some of those are going to be better than others, but it's just The Mandalorian alone m- pleases me so much. With yeah. It, you know, that I yeah. feel like, okay, the franchise is in good hands. And so. There, there's lots of new stuff to look forward to.
1: Yeah, in fact, I learned recently that uh, Disney spent more dollars than uh, the population of Alderaan when it was destroyed. <laughs> did you hear that? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I got that answer wrong on a trivia contest.
0: That's that's funny. I I, I think the most recent episode... I was telling you about this book that I picked up that was uh, Inferno Squad. It was a, a tie-in to the Star Wars Battlefront II video game. And in it, there is this elite group of Imperial, young Imperial officers that are put together after the destruction of the Death Star to become like the impossible missions force. Right. For the Empire. And it's totally that. It's totally... Your mission, should you choose to accept it, you you guys are in this room are the best of the best, and we're going to send you to do these things that the rest of the Empire can't do. And the main character, uh, I think her name's Aiden Versio, she is a TIE fighter pilot, and she was one of the TIE pilots that was going after the X-Wings and Y-Wings that were attacking the Death Star. And only her... Tie fighter and Vader's Tie fighter survived that
1: uh-huh.
0: battle, and they talk about like what a loss to the Empire this the Death Star was, and and they 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 give the number three hundred thousand lives are lost on the Death Star, and it was that was just mind boggling to me. I just kept thinking about it over and over of how could there have been three hundred thousand people on that battle station. <laughs> I mean, just it's it, a lot. That's like ten or a hundred times more people than I would have said was on the the Death Star, and you know, it's all the the rebels are terrorists, and they killed all of these people that are beloved and important to our empire, and the whole planet Coruscant is in in mourning and stuff, and and I just it was really interesting to read a book from the perspective of the Empire. And I fully expected by the end of the book that the you know that at least aiden Versio would realize that the Empire is bad, and would def, de not default. What is the word? Where she would go off to the rebel <laughs> side. Defect. Yeah, she that she would defect over to the Rebel Alliance, but it doesn't happen. These guys are like entrenched ideologically in the Imperial mindset. And, and that made it a unique story for me that it just, we don't really ever get to see the point of view of the Rebel Alliance. The, the only, You mean the Imperial? No, no. In, in the book itself, you don't get the Rebel Alliance point of view. Oh, you, gotcha. You only gotcha. get the bad guys, but they don't believe that they're bad guys. And then the people that they go up against are these... Oh gosh, it starts with an R. They're, they're like uh what Forrest Whitaker played in in Rogue One. They're what Saw Gerrera his group.
1: Splinter group, terrorist group. Extremist?
0: There was a name I thought for what Saw Gerrera's group was. I can't remember. Because he's not part of the Rebel Alliance. He has his own like organization of people that don't think that the rebel alliance is is tough enough do you know what i'm saying that uh yeah partisans that's what they're called ah. uh leads the partisans and so those were the antagonists of the book and i fully believe that they did that so that it would be okay to kill them <laughs> uh you know what i mean Because there's a part where, early, early on, where Aiden Versio's TIE fighter crash lands on the Yavin moon. And I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be interesting. When she runs into the rebels, how is she going to see them? And that scene doesn't even happen in the book. They just cut to when she is later reunited with the Empire. And and, and we don't get her interaction with the... I guess she, like, sees them from afar and and i feel like that that was a a purposeful choice because we want to root for these characters but if they're killing leia's people you know people that are friends with luke skywalker or whatever they lose the the readers uh sympathy <laughs> sympathy exactly good but if it's the extremist rebels that are blowing things up and blowing themselves up in the name of Saw Gerrera, that, that It's just open season on those guys because Star Wars fans don't have an emotional connection to them. Does that... Is, yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I don't know how we got onto this, but I just... <laughs> uh, I found it a very interesting book and then it just ended with some of them are killed, but the rest of them make it back from this impossible mission like you know there will be more adventures with this team and uh, as far as i know they never had another book or anything like that but i just i found that very interesting it i didn't love it the way that i loved the twilight squadron one but i you know i found it a unique read
1: yeah i was gonna look up did you see gino's comment
0: yeah he had said that in the video game you are Idenversio versio and that you start out as an imperial and later become a rebel.
1: Yeah.
0: But in the book that's explained that she is pretends to go over to the, again, I've forgotten that name, <laughs> the, partisans. the partisans. She pretends to have a falling out with the empire and, and go over to the other side. It may have been a totally different experience reading that book. Had I played the game because
1: you would have the context, yeah.
0: Yeah, the structure of the the book probably follows or parallels
1: the game in some way. Well, we should probably <laughs> move on to our first half of the Star Wars sequel uh, recording. Yeah, yeah, good point. I've I've been
0: talking for a while, uh, but I didn't feel like we would have much to say on the other side. We'll, we'll save most of that for next time, the next episode that we do. And, and uh, have you explained to people what we're, what we're doing here?
1: Just briefly, why don't, why don't you explain uh, how you, uh, you found this script? Kind of give us a launching off point.
0: Okay, so George Lucas hired Lee Brackett to write a sequel to Star Wars, a screenplay, which was just called Star Wars Sequel. She uh, she died in March of 1978, and the date on this script is March 1978. Uh, she died of cancer, uh, so she was only able to turn in a draft, but it has like a lot of handwritten notes on it and changes and little. So uh, this is sort of a revised first draft. And for years and years, this was unavailable. Nobody had it. It was in a... Gosh, what was it? It was like one of those things where somebody dies and they leave their papers to a university. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, there was a library and she left her stuff to it. It was a special collections at the Eastern New Mexico University Library. Hmm. That was the only place that you could read it. Of course, Lucasfilm had some in their archives. Anyway, somehow this slipped out really recently. It was in 2016. Somebody Xeroxed a copy of it and and scanned it and uploaded it to the internet. And somebody brought it to my attention. And I started to read it last year in 2019. And I just found it fascinating. A Star Wars that might have been. So I I told you about it and said, for the 40th anniversary of Empire Strikes Back, I want to do this as an episode. And I, I think in my mind, I was just going to sum up my reading of the script. Right. But I would like read certain excerpts, the parts that I found most interesting. And then ultimately during the winter, because everybody was stuck doing nothing for so long, I just got it into my head that, no, I'm just going to read the whole thing <laughs> and we'll present it to our listeners because that's unique and and. And hopefully they will find it as interesting as I did. Unfortunately, it's so long, and to read a screenplay aloud that I had to split it in two. I don't know how long the the bit we're about to run is, but uh, it took me two hours just to get through that portion of the script. And of course, I cut out, you know, some of my trying to read her handwriting <laughs> and <laughs> bits where you know, the, the page is cut off or the Xerox is such low quality that I can't make out what it's trying to say. But anyway, I just thought we would do two episodes where I present Star Wars sequel and then we can talk a lot about it when we get done next next time.
1: No, yeah, I, I found it fascinating. I've listened to the first part of it and I found it pretty fascinating myself. Well, just real briefly, uh, Lee Brackett, Was a pretty active uh, science fiction writer in the 40s and into the 50s. In fact, she was called at one point the queen of the space opera. She referred to it, or maybe others referred to it, as planetary romances, which I thought was kind of a neat term to use. She lived in the LA area and married her husband who was also a science fiction writer, and they were in a writing group with Ray Bradbury. But she would have been more of a mentor to Ray Bradbury. You know, she'd been writing longer than he had at that point, which is kind of neat to think about. But I read a little bit in an article on io9 where she got introduced to Lucas, and it says here, according to John Baxter's book, The Mythmaker, I don't know if you've heard of that book or not, but a friend of Lucas handed him a copy of one of Lee Brackett's books, and uh, he told him, told Lucas, you know, here's someone who did the cantina scene better than you did. So Lucas was interested in, in working with her, uh, where Lucas asked her, Have you ever written in the movies? And she had. She had written screenplays for a couple of John Wayne movies, uh, Rio Bravo, El Dorado. Uh, She also did the screenplay for The Big Sleep and The Long Goodbye, which were noir stories, you know, detective stories. And there was a pause from Lucas. And then he said, are you that, Lee Brackett? (laughs) And she's like, yeah, isn't that why you called me in to help you? And he says, no, I called you in because you're a Pulp Fiction writer. (laughs) So I thought that was pretty interesting that he didn't realize who he was talking to when he asked her to come help him write the script but then yeah like you said after her first draft and she had turned that in she she passed away but it's pretty fascinating some of the elements that stayed and some of the elements that were different and we'll like you said we'll talk more about that probably after we listen to the whole thing but uh i guess that oh. brings us to the point of sharing it with our listeners
0: Okay, yeah, I guess uh, we'll meet you on the other side. Uh, do
1: you remember how long it is? Is it like 90 minutes? or? It's about an hour and 15 minutes. Hour and 15, <laughs> so, okay. Yep. So settle in, folks. Go get something to, to eat and uh, sit down and enjoy the show. Star Wars sequel. Screenplay
0: by Lee Brackett. Looks like February 17th. 1978. There's some handwritten notes on this. A couple of uh, little additions here and there, which I'm assuming are in her handwriting. Although it seems like somebody somewhere said this was Lucas's handwriting. Uh, I should look it up. Exterior, plain of ice planet Day. A sweeping dramatic shot of Luke Skywalker mounted on a white snow lizard Racing across a white, snowy landscape, Luke's scarlet cloak flies in the wind. Curving plumes of snow rise from beneath the speeding paws of the lizard. All about in the distance, snow wraiths blow on the wind across a cruel and beautiful landscape in the light of a strange sun. Exterior, low-ridge day, the low ridge rises from the plain like a long-backed dune of snow. Luke gallops up the slope into a close shot and reins his lizard to a halt. Luke's face is protected by a masking helmet and goggles, but now he pushes up the goggles so that we can see that it is indeed Luke. He looks keenly about at the land beyond the ridge. He carries a blaster on his right hip and his lightsaber in the left. Luke's POV More of the lovely, cruel, white country, apparently deserted except for the blown veils of snow. Dimly, there appears, through these veils, a formation of rocks or perhaps ice of exceptional beauty, catching points of fire from the sun. Back to Luke. He smiles and activates his helmet radio. Uh, Luke. Han. Come in, Han Solo. Cut to Exterior Plane Day, Han Solo. Han is also mounted on a white snow lizard. He is galloping along on another part of the plain, distinguished perhaps by some tumbled ice formations. He pulls up. He speaks into his helmet radio. Yeah, Luke. What is it? Luke into radio. I'm at the North Ridge. No sign of life. How about you? Han into radio. I'm at the cliffs. I haven't seen anything either. I guess the survey was right. The planet's clean. We might as well go back to base. I'll wait for you. Luke into radio, looking off screen. No, you go on. No use freezing to death. There's a real pretty ice formation on the other side of the ridge. I want to get a closer look at it. I'll follow you in a few minutes. Han into radio, Big Brother style. Uh, Just wait a minute, Luke. Orders said just to the ridge. Don't take any chances. The radio makes some angry squawking noises that cause Han to wince. Okay, okay, I was just asking if you were... The mic makes one final snarl and goes dead. Han shrugs. I guess he's... All right. To Lizard. Come on, my animated iceberg. Let's get back to where it's warm. Or at least warmer. He prods the lizard into motion and races away, cloak flying. Exterior ridge, day. Luke readjusts his helmet and goggles, looks off at the alluring ice formation, and starts jauntily off along the farther slope of the low ridge, angling his mount in a graceful curve. The scene is one of sheer beauty, both in motion and setting. Closer angle. A veil of snow blows across the slope, no different from any of the others. It momentarily obscures Luke and his mount, And suddenly, without warning, a gigantic form explodes out of the snow, almost under the feet of the lizard, which screams and rears, throwing Luke. The monstrous shape, white on white against the snow cloud, we do not see it clearly except that it is huge and menacing, utters a weird and bestial groaning, like boulders grinding together in the bowels of a mountain. It strikes the lizard dead with one horrendous blow, breaking its neck. Half stunned by the fall, Luke staggers up and attempts to draw the blaster holstered at his hip. The snowman fetches him a blow across the face that would have taken part of his head off if it had not been for the helmet. Luke loses his blaster, falls. He lies motionless in the snow, his helmet torn, goggles gone, one side of his face a mass of blood. Above him, obscure in the snow cloud, the white monster looks down at him, then bends and grasps him by one ankle and drags him away. Cut two, Exterior Ice Castle Approaches Day The ice castle, a natural structure of great beauty, with fantastic domes and spires, much akin to the one that lured Luke into trouble, only larger. No banners fly from its battlements. There are no visible sentries, and the wind-scoured ice of the approaches shows no tracks. Yet Han Solo gallops his snow lizard confidently toward the blank, glittering wall of the structure. It's hard for me to explain just how hard to read this is. This is a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox, I think. The best I can uh, make out is it's that there are natural caves up on the ice castle that have been hollowed uh, into laser gun implements and radar installations that are all but invisible to the naked eye. They're all constructed to be invisible. (laughs) Ice Castle, Day. As Han approaches the seemingly blank wall, a section of the ice slides open and he disappears inside, the wall closing behind him. Interior, Ice Castle, Outer Court, Day. Inside, the ice has been hollowed out into a series of chambers and halls. In this, the Outer Court, Han dismounts and gives his lizard to an attendant. Stripping off helmet and goggles, he hurries on toward an inner door. Here, he is stopped by a junior officer on duty with several soldiers. Han Solo. With a report for... Officer. Captain Solo, the Princess Leia wishes you to report to her immediately. Well, that's what I just... Interior, inner hall, day, at door... Officer, she's in the war room on the third level. Soldier, escort, Captain... I know the way. He turns and strides impatiently across the inner hall, which is large and busy, with people and robots going back and forth on errands. There are corridors opening off the hall, and a bank of lifts. Han Solo steps into one of these and is taken down. The officer, meanwhile, turns to an intercom. Interior, third level, day. This level has been blasted out of solid ice and is huge in extent, stretching away on either side as Han steps out of the lift. We see a hangar deck with rebel ships ranked in line. An X-wing fighter is being towed into place. Mechanics and mech robots work among the ships. In other places are banks of indicators with flashing lights showing the status of various life support systems. Men, women, and robots monitor these indicators. Huge pipes snake across the roof overhead. The scene is one of great activity, planned and orderly. Han Solo crosses toward a door that says, War Room, Authorized Personnel Only. He hesitates briefly, then strides on past along the hangar deck. Interior, hangar deck, third level, day. Han approaches the battered, unorthodox shape of the Millennium Falcon, looking out of place among the sleek warcraft. He runs up the gangway. Chewie! Interior Falcon Day. Chewbacca the Wookiee answers with growling pleasure from the control cabin as Han enters the main cabin. Chewie comes in, wiping his paws on oily waist. (laughs) Wiping his paws on oily waist and talking a blue streak. Han laughs and pats his huge chest. You're not any more bored than I am, Chewie. Never thought I'd be much good for a soldier. And I doubt if I can put up with it much longer. You just keep the old Falcon in. They both break off as a heavy booming sound interrupts and the ground shakes. Chewbacca roars. Calm down. They're just blasting more space to put ships in as they come in. You keep the Falcon in shape, Chewie. Never know when we may want to jump. And here's a deleted bit that she has crossed out with uh, her pen. Moving his shoulders uneasily, Han says, I've got that funny old itch again, just like when the hot breath of the law was puffing down the back of my neck. Chewie growls understandingly. Interior war room day, featuring a huge map, or three-dimensional galactic model, occupying one entire wall of a good-sized room. The model shows the heavily clustered stars at the central cores thinning out along the outflung spiral arms. Chewie growls a question at Han— Okay, so that's all been deleted. I don't know if I should even have read it. Chewie growls a question and Han shrugs, shaking his head. How should I know? Nobody's likely to find us in this forsaken hole. I doubt if even God remembers where he hung this star. Interior war room day, the plotting tank. At first we think we're in space, looking down from above at the entire galaxy. The burning core of stars at the center, the outflung spiral arms. It is dizzying. Then a single point of light brightens, green light, and a man's voice speaks over. Man's voice. We are here, the fourth planet of this detached system at the edge of the Granita Cluster. The green light is indeed close to a great hive of suns burning with many colors. Interior war room day, full shot. We see now that the galaxy is a three-dimensional model occupying a huge tank in the center of a great ice chamber. Men and women stand or move about on a catwalk that surrounds it. Lining the walls are control panels, indicator panels, and computers, communicators. The man who has spoken, Commander Willard, stands on the walk with Princess Leia, General Dodonna, and some other brass, looking down at the plotting tank. We hoped that the massive energy output of the cluster will mask our comings and goings from the Empire radar sweeps, which we know will eventually quarter the entire galaxy. C-3PO? Interior war room day. At one of the control panels, C-3PO stands ready with R2-D2 beside him. Yes, Commander. Let us have the display based on our latest calculations. Right away, sir. Officiously to Artu, 2 you have your orders. Artu 2 whistles derisively and does things to the panel. The Tank. Princess Leia, Willard, and others in foreground looking down. The galaxy model now shifts color. Part of it, the largest part, is engulfed in red. Willard. That is the Empire. Other areas begin to glow green. First a small, well-defined center and then scattered patches or single lights. Since we destroyed the Empire's Death Star, many more systems have found courage to join the rebellion. At last count, 1,026. But as you see, we are widely scattered and still vastly inferior in ships and men. This base is strategically placed for... He breaks off and looks up, as they all do. As Han Solo flings the door open and enters. Willard. Captain Solo, I believe you were ordered to report here at once. Something more urgent delayed you, no doubt. Han reddens. Princess Leia puts a hand on Willard's arm. I'll handle this. Please continue, gentlemen. Han... She walks quickly to Han, whose mouth is open, on an angry retort. He shuts it as she smiles at him. Let's go outside. ThreePO and R2 have watched this. They see Han and Leia go out, and Threepio gives the robotic equivalent of a chuckle. Oh, I'd love to hear Threepio, laugh. For a moment, I thought Captain Solo was going to simply fuse all his circuits. He's as undisciplined as you, R2. R2 makes a rude noise and continues to manage the board as men's voices continue behind them at the plotting tank 3PO serious now i have to admit i'm worried what the commander says is true the empire is so powerful even without the death star and we're taking an awful chance with this base putting all our eggs in one basket as it were r2 makes a series of whistling sounds we haven't got enough eggs for two baskets that's a profound remark Artu. I'll treasure it. Exterior, docking bay, day. Leia's leading Han into a quiet area of the hangar. Han has recovered his good humor and is bending over Leia with a smile, but her small face is serious and intent. So you saw no signs of any inhabitants? Han, shaking his head. Hostile or otherwise. Leia. Where's Luke? He'll be along. Had to go look at something pretty
2: on the other side of the ridge. Leia, I've been meaning to.
0: She holds up her hand imperiously, every inch a princess. Han, now this bit has been deleted. I want you to listen to me, and you're not going to like what I have to say. In- interesting. Uh, it's been replaced by Listen to me. We've been in touch with your stepfather. Han's face changes gardens he steps back from her he's not my stepfather well whatever he is he was fond of you once of all the people in the galaxy you're the only one he might listen to
2: no and anyway he
0: he's agreed to
2: talk to you he has well that's fine i don't want to talk to him
0: i don't know why you quarreled with him and ran away i don't care all that matters is that Oven Marakal is the most powerful man in the galaxy, next to the Emperor himself and Darth Vader. Through his transport guild, he controls Han, impatiently, all the pilots and navigators in commercial space. And wars aren't won with weapons. I know that. I also know that Oven Marakal goes with the winning side, and that's the Empire. He doesn't exactly love it, but that's where the power is. Interior, ice corridor, day. Han and Leia have stopped now in an unfinished side corridor away from the noise and activity of the docking area. The corridor stretches away into dimness beyond where the light strip ends. Leia is looking up at Han, and neither of them see what might be a vague shadowy motion, white on white, at the far dim end of the corridor. Two deleted lines, Leia saying, you might change his mind, Han saying, I might, and all this ice might melt and become a tropical garden, Leia. That's been deleted. If the emperor... Oh, this is Leia. If the emperor crushes the rebellion and comes to full power, how long does Ovan Marakal think his precious guild will last? Han, we must have him on our side. You must try to win him for us. Han puts his hand gently on either side of the Leia's face. It says the Leia. (laughs) Sorry on either side of Leia's face, turning her lips toward his. He bends over her. Leia, for you, I'd try even that. You would? For me? She smiles. Now his arms go around her. He pulls her closer to him, and for a moment it seems that she is melting in his arms, ready for his kiss. In the background, unnoticed, the dim white shapes move and watch the very last minute, Leia slaps Han's face with a resounding crack and he starts back, letting her go thoroughly startled. Coldly angry, she faces him. Captain Solo, a great war is raging. What you would do for me or I for you are matters of no consequence. The mission is vital. The success or failure of the Rebel Alliance may depend on it. As an officer of that Alliance, will you or will you not accept the mission? on rigidly. I'll think about it, your highness. She turns and stalks away, and he follows her. Behind them, at the end of the corridor, the white-on-white shadows seem also to have departed. And now a word from our sponsor. I love chalupas. How about you? If you want chalup- chalupas, it's hard to say with all these chalupas in my hands, If you want, Chalupas, come to Chalupa Town. Right off I-35. Dissolve 2. Interior Snowman Cave. Night. Luke Skywalker lies on the floor of an ice cave, alone. Somewhere in the recesses of the cave, we can hear voices. The deep, growling, unhuman voices like the grinding together of rocks. The cadence very slow. The rise and fall of tones very limited. We can understand no single word. Perhaps there are no words. Yet there is menace in the voices, chillingly alien and incomprehensible. Luke stirs. The cave is suffused with a strange light, as of starlight, but much brighter. Luke's face is covered in dried or frozen blood on one side. He sits up, touching himself to discover the extent of his injuries, looking about him, listening to the muttering voices. His lightsaber is still holstered at his side. He can see no one. Gathering himself, moving unsteadily, he steals toward what appears to be the cave mouth. He has almost reached it when, through glittering shapes of ice at one side, a gigantic white form emerges and bars the way. It reaches for Luke with huge amorphous paws, grating and grumbling, and for a moment Luke stands appalled. And then a voice seems to speak to him very softly and quietly. A familiar and well-loved voice. Remember the Force, boy. Open your mind to it. Open your heart. Ben? Ben! Stepping back from the monstrous form, only half-glimpsed in the starlight, Luke seems to grow taller. Take on stature. His qualms leaving him. He draws the lightsaber. And when the beast lunges at him, he moves expertly, slashing with the beam. And the beast, with one strange cry, vanishes back into the ice formations. Now, see, that is interesting. Originally, she had typed, With one strange cry, it vanishes in a burst of vapor. But that's been crossed out, and handwritten has been back into the ice formations. Luke runs out of the cave. Exterior, ice planet, plane night. Luke runs across the snowy plain under a night sky of incredible magnificence with the great star cluster burning overhead. At the mouth of the cave behind him there are groanings and grumblings and moving shapes, but the creatures do not attempt to follow. Exterior ice planet plane night. Luke runs on, a small figure in the vastness of snow and cluster light, His pace begins to slow, and his track weaves from side to side. He stumbles, goes to his hands and knees. Ben, help me. The force, it's gone. There is no help. Luke drags himself erect. Please, help me, Ben. Please help. He staggers on toward the foot of a long slope of snow. He assays the ascent falls again, and lies still for a moment, then begins painfully to crawl upward. Han Solo, Leia, and others. A search party mounted on snow lizards pulls up at the top of the slope some distance away, and Han points. Han, there he is. Leia, thank God. They race down the slope toward Luke. Did we miss a section where they discover he hasn't come in? No. Oh, well. Dissolve to interior base night. Theripio and R2 hurry together down a long corridor cut from the ice of the base. Poor Master Luke. If I'd been with him, this might never have happened. R2 beeps and whistles. Certainly my joints would have frozen, but not at once. And I might have been able to. What is it now? Passing the mouth of a side corridor, R2 has halted and turned apparently caught by something he sees or senses in the side corridor. He takes a few tentative steps into the side corridor, beeping uncertainly. What do you mean you saw something? It's only storage space and not even finished yet. He follows R2 into the corridor. Interior, side corridor, night. At the end of the corridor, where the light does not reach, there is a suggestion of movement, white on white. R2 begins making urgent noises, halting abruptly. Threepio peers into the dimness. Nonsense, you silly collection of spare parts. You'd better have your senses checked. The code here seems to be affecting them. Come along now. But R2 is way ahead of him, scooting back into the main corridor. R2, wait for me! Interior, main corridor, night. But R2 is waiting for no man, nor robot. Beeping furiously, he hurries on with Repio lumbering in his wake. I'll to wait Interior Base Sick Bay night. Luke lies in a bunk in the small sick bay, his face roughly bandaged. Leia sits on the side of the bunk, holding his hand, her face showing her concern. Han Solo, standing at the foot of the bunk, does not miss this. Commander Willard is also there. Luke I couldn't get a l- good look at them. Even at the one I killed or or drove away, I only know they're big and white and cold. Originally, the line was, I don't know what they are. I couldn't get a good look, even at the one I killed. It just vanished. I only know they're big and white and they seem to live in the snow and ice the way sharks do in water. And they're... Have it, Han. The doctor shrugs and Han gives Luke the saber. Luke looks at the crystal projecting from the hilt. He works it gently with his fingers and it comes free. Yes, it belongs there. It fits. But what is it? Artu, who has kept up a steady if subdued beeping, now gives a shriller whistling. I could have told him that, Artu. It appears to be a memory cell. Luke, a memory cell? Like from a computer? Leia, Luke, put it away now and let the doctor but our 2 having finally managed to get people's attention, goes into a renewed burst of urgent noises. What is he babbling about? He hasn't shut up once since he came in here. He claims he saw something big and white, moving at the end of a corridor. Sheer nonsense, of course, and I've told him to have his senses. o suddenly becomes aware of the frozen stares he is getting from everyone in the room. It is nonsense, isn't it? Willard. Princess. I think we'd better continue this discussion outside and let the doctor get on with his work. Doctor, I'd appreciate it. Luke, Leia, if those things are in the base, we'll be careful. Don't worry. She kisses him quickly on his unbandaged cheek. They all go outside, R2 giving one final triumphant beep. Doctor and nurse approach Luke's bed. He is still holding the saber and the crystal. Staring at the crystal, he starts to replace it in the saber hilt, fumbling a bit from weakness. Doctor. Perhaps you'd better let me do that. Luke. No, I'll manage. Fascinated. He stares at the enigmatic crystal. Camera moves in to a close on the glittery thing and... A moving beam of light reflects splintered radiance from knobs and spikes of ice on a rough ice wall. Willard's voice. No sign of anything here now. Interior, side corridor, night. Willard, holding a torch in one hand and a blaster in the other, Han and Leia, each armed with a blaster, stand in a wary group with Threepio and R2. Han, it's possible R2 was mistaken. R2 makes a noise like, Humph They start to move back into the main corridor. Willard, I'm afraid we have to assume that... He breaks off and they all pause a moment as the dull, booming shock of an explosion reaches them from somewhere in the base. Leia. I'll be glad when they stop that. Willard. We all will. Interior, main corridor, night. As they come back into the main corridor. Willard. We have to assume that R2 saw exactly what he said he did. Leia. But how in the world could these creatures get into the base? Willard. There's just so much ice around us. They could tunnel. Han. What could they do, anyway? They sound very primitive, just animals. Nevertheless, until we know a little more about it, I'm going to. The rest of the page is obscured. Next page. Suddenly, alarm hooters began to sound all through the base, and mechanical voices boomed through speakers mounted in the corridor. Voice from speaker Red alert! Red alert. Security squad six and eight to sector K-12 on the double. I repeat, red alert. All personnel report to assigned stations. Willard. K-12? That's where they've been blasting. He starts to run. Leia and Han follow. The mechanical voice and the hooting continue as a blurred background as they go. PO and R2 hesitate. Report to assigned stations. Thank heaven ours is nowhere near K-12. Come on, Natu, we're needed. They take off along the corridor. Interior, sector K12, night. A number of bodies are sprawled around like dolls, hurled and broken by giant children. Heavy equipment is smashed. The security people are standing around looking baffled with nothing to shoot at. Willard, Leia, and Han are looking at the death and destruction, their faces grim. At one side, a woman in coveralls stands weeping. A security man beside her. Willard, Corporal, bring her over here. The security man brings the weeping woman to Willard. He looks at her shoulder patches. Willard, technician, first class. The woman straightens up and controls herself. Woman, yes, sir, monitoring the excavation procedures. I'm sorry, it's just that I saw them great white things. All of a sudden they were here, and this all happened in seconds, so fast. Willard, and how did they get away? They seemingly just disappeared. I see. Thank you. Dismissed. The woman goes. Willard looks at Han. You were asking what these primitive animals could do. Han nods. He and Leia and Willard leave the area as cleanup operations begin and paramedics arrive. Interior, base, night. Lea, and Willard walking across the main corridor. I'm putting the base on 24-hour red alert. Maximum precautions. Everyone to go armed at all times. Leia, can we control these creatures? Do we dare to take the risk? They halt, and Willard looks around at the ships, a haggard and tired man. Princess... We don't dare not to take the risk. If we move, searching for another base with all this to do over again, there's no chance we'd get away with it. This base is our best hope. We've got to hold on to it. At least here, so far, we're safe from the Empire. Turns to look at Han. Has Captain Solo granted us a decision yet on whether he will undertake the mission to Oven Marakal? Han, why don't you just order me to go, Commander? Because I have Princess Leia's orders not to do that. Either you go of your own free will, Han, or there's no point in your going at all. Good night, gentlemen. If you need me, Commander, I'll be in the sick bay. She strides away, her back straight and uncompromising. Han looks after her with a peculiar expression. Secretly, tired as he is, Willard smiles. Dissolve 2. Exterior. Ton Moond, day, establishing. View of an enormous city covering all we can see of a planet. Caption, Ton Moond, the city planet, administrative center of the empire. Exterior building, day. Ton Moon should have an odd sort of daylight, perhaps a blue star. One of a complex of mighty, squat, towering buildings with a look of cold efficiency about them, totally devoid of beauty. Interior, Darth Vader's quarters, tawn-mooned day. The room is large, spartan in its furnishings, with a bank of communicators and computer terminals indicating that it is an office devoted to the business of the Empire. Darth Vader, huge, black-clad and cloaked, his face hidden by the black breathing mask, stands watching as two of his minions interview an alien, a very alien-looking alien, who speaks in quick, Chittering bursts, glancing uneasily at Vader's menacing height. One of the minions is an interpreter who listens to the alien speech and then relays the translation to Vader and the other minion who is recording the conversation. Interpreter this individual says it is a small trader, makes occasional voyages into the Granita cluster where he has several contacts. Vader
2: thief, smuggler, and slaver. No one else goes
0: into the Granita. Continue. There was another brief exchange of chittering and squeaking interpreter. As the individual was approaching the cluster at normal velocity, it saw a number of ships drop out of hyperspace. It counted 23, most of these bearing rebel insignia, and head away from the cluster. It did not dare to follow them, but it was able to get a fix on the direction of flight. Vader. The coordinates, man. The coordinates. More chittering and squeaking. The interpreter looks unhappy. Lord Vader, the individual believes that this information is of considerable value to the Empire. It desires a reward.
2: The Empire is generous to its friends. Give me the coordinates.
0: More chittering. The interpreter writes down a series of numbers. Vader gestures to him to hand the paper to the second man. Put it on the screen. The second man sets up a pattern on a keyboard. A huge screen lights up, showing the lower segment of the Granita Cluster. A light pointer appears in the area where the rebel ships were sighted. It begins to move away from the cluster. The picture moves with it, leaving the cluster farther behind. Vader watches tensely. A spot of light appears. A star, planets, the pointer zeroes in on the solar system and stops. Vader's great gauntleted hand crashes down on the tabletop in triumph. Vader to interpreter.
2: Remove this unpleasant lump of protoplasm. Give it whatever its heart desires, if it has a heart. But see that it's kept under lock
0: and key until we're sure its information is accurate. And he sweeps out of the office Striding like a man with a mighty purpose. Dissolve 2. Interior sickbay, the rebel base. Day. Luke is up and around the sickbay. Convalescent. He still looks a bit shaky and his face shows some scarring. Leia is with him. They are in the midst of a tentative and very tender love scene. Luke, you spent a lot of time here, Leia. Whenever I woke up, I could see you sitting beside the bed. You very nearly didn't make it. The doctor said, if it hadn't been for your helmet... She shivers. You were lucky. And those snow things are inside the base. There hasn't been another attack since that night. Leia, I wish you'd go somewhere safe. There isn't any safe place for me, you know that. Not as long as Darth Vader and the Empire... Leia, I love you. I want to keep you safe. He kisses her and she returns it, a sweet and tender kiss. Then she pushes him gently away. Dear Luke, try to understand. Whether I will it or not, I'm the Princess Leia Organa, a leader of the rebel forces. Luke, sadly, and I'm just the farm boy from Tatooine. You're Luke Skywalker, the fighter pilot who destroyed the Death Star. You have duties just as I have. There isn't any place for love. Not now. Luke tries to take her in his arms again. Might there be? Later? Leia unhappily backing off. Luke, I wish. She is interrupted by a knock on the door. Yes, come in. Han Solo enters, looking very brisk, brash, and pleased with himself. Leia seems relieved to see him. Luke is somehow, subtly, relegated to the background. Oh, hello, Han.
2: Hello, Leia. They told me I'd find you here. How's it going, Luke? You're looking great.
0: I'm fine, Uh, thanks. Uh, A deleted line from Han Good We thought for a while there you were going to leave us.
2: Glad to hear it. Leia, I wanted to tell you.
0: You've decided to undertake the mission. How did you... Leia, smiling. I know you better than you know yourself. Han, wincing.
2: A man always hates to hear a woman tell him that. It might just be true,
0: but what a catastrophe that would be. Luke, eagerly. Can I go with you, Han? I'm strong enough now.
2: No, I can't take anyone, Luke. Just me and Chewbacca. Chewie's been there before, and anyway, Wookiees don't get involved much with politics. See, Oven Marakel knows he's a prime target for assassination or kidnapping. I'm
0: one of the very few people in the galaxy who knows where to find him. But he's head of the Transport Guild. He must... A face on the vid screen. He even attends board meetings by remote control. Anyway, those were his orders.
2: Chewy and me, alone. I'm sorry, Luke. I'd really like to have you along. But it's not going to be any pleasure jaunt.
0: Leia. It's going to be extremely dangerous. That's another reason I couldn't order you to go. I'm very grateful. When do you plan to leave? I've got a list of stores we'll need. As soon as we get them loaded... Come on, I'll see that the requisitions are put through right away. Luke, why don't you get some rest? Leia and Han go out together. There's a a deleted line here where Han says, Chewie and I'll be up here to see you before we go. Luke looks after them, dejected. If I were a Jedi knight, she'd... Full of anger and hurt pride, he goes to where the saber lies and picks it up. As if it holds the answer to all his problems, if only he can find it. Why can't I learn to control the force? If only Ben had waited a little longer. Ben's voice, very softly. But I'd waited waited long long enough, enough, Luke. Luke. It's your time time now. Luke. Ben! Ben, tell me what to do. He has not noticed that the door has opened and the nurse is watching him. I'll tell you what to do, young man. You climb right back into that bed while I go and call the doctor. You're hallucinating again, hearing voice. She breaks off, her jaw dropping, as Luke abruptly turns toward her, adopting an almost ritual pose with the lightsaber. What? She makes a brave attempt to stand her ground. Now you stop, Luke. You stay. Luke is neither seeing nor hearing her. His face is remote and strange. Doctor? Doctor? She is running down the corridor, calling for the doctor. Luke leaves the room, paying no attention. Cut to interior base, a deserted area, day. Three p o and R2 are hurrying rather furtively along a corridor. Three p o looks about, nervously. You don't sense anything, do you, R2? I haven't felt safe for one minute since... He breaks off as R2 stops and looks at him in horror. You do sense something? Oh, my... He is turning around, on the verge of running, when R2 beeps some more, impatiently. Threepio calms down at once. Well, why didn't you say so, instead of frightening the titanium out of me? They go round a bend in the corridor and find Luke waiting in a kind of recess. We came as soon as we could, Master Luke. I think they're looking for you. I know they are. He presses the stud in the hilt of his saber and lifts out the crystal. R2? You said this was a memory cell. Can you read it? Artu beeps. He says he'll try. Insert it there, Master Luke. He points to a slot that Artu has opened on his front. Luke inserts the crystal. Artu stands quietly humming for a moment, digesting. Then he beeps and whistles. He says it appears to contain the coordinates of a star system, in a remote part of the galaxy. Luke removes the crystal and stares at it. Luke. Perhaps this is where my father was trained. Perhaps if I went there. But Master Luke, there are no more Jedi Knights. Ben Kenobi was the last. R2 beeps and whistles. All right, yes, I know. Darth Vader is really the last Jedi Knight. But Master Luke can hardly go to him for lessons. To Luke. There's no one left to teach you now. Uh, There's a note from Lee Brackett saying, cut this down. And she did. There's no one left to teach you. Besides, we can't leave our posts now. Luke sighs and replaces the crystal in the hilt. I suppose you're right. I'll just have to. A distant rumbling shock interrupts him. He stops until it has passed. Do the best I can myself. Threepio follows him with R2. As they go away, camera pans to show white shadows in the far depths of the corridor. Faintly, like a menacing whisper, comes the sound of deep, grinding, grumbling voices. Dissolve to In Space. An Empire fleet moves swiftly through space in the cluster light. Interior Darth Vader's ship, the bridge. Darth Vader stands with a high-ranking officer, looking out the forward port. Others are present in background. The pilot, navigator, communications officer. Navigator. If the coordinates are accurate, Lord Vader, we should make Starfall in approximately two and a half time units. Officer. But we still won't know which planet the rebels have occupied, and you can be sure they're well hidden.
2: Darth Vader. I'll know. Already I can sense a disturbance in the force.
0: Officer. Officer. Luke Skywalker.
2: Obi-Wan's apprentice knight who disabled my ship and sent me spinning off into space just before he blew up the Death Star. Vader laughs. I should be grateful to him at that. He saved my life. Perhaps I can find a suitable way to
0: repay him. The officer looks at him, sidelong, uncomfortable. Oh, and that's all been crossed out. (laughs) with a note that said Han did it, not Luke. It says, rewrite, Han did this. Darth Vader, half to himself, Obi-Wan's fledgling. He disabled my fighter
2: and sent me spinning off into space with all systems dead, even the radio. But I knew, I knew when he destroyed the Death Star, using the Force to find the target, I had much time to consider Master Skywalker while I was waiting to be rescued. He's too much like his father.
0: Darth Vader pauses, remembering old betrayals. The officer glances sidelong at him, uneasily. He does not break the silence.
2: His control is still rudimentary, but his potential is strong. It must not be allowed to develop into a weapon for the
0: rebels. Dissolve to interior base the hangar day. By the Millennium Falcon, Chewie and a couple of workmen are finishing a loading operation. A little distance away, Han Solo is talking with Willard while Luke and Leia look on. Luke has the lightsaber holstered at his side. Willard, I don't need to stress again the importance of this mission. Han, but you're doing it anyway. Don't you trust me? I have to, Captain Solo. Good luck, he goes. Han goes to Leia. Leia? Leia, smiling at him. He'll listen to you. I know he... A distant but very powerful explosion booms. Things shake and fall. Everyone reacts, startled. If they're not careful, they'll have the whole place down around our ears. Chewie and the men start working again. Han turns to Leia and the lights go out. There is a moment of intense quiet. Luke. The air duct fans have stopped too. One of the workmen switches on a hand lamp. Leia. They'll have the emergency generators on in a moment. The second workman turns on his hand lamp, making two wavering beams of light in the intense darkness. From elsewhere in the base come sudden shouts and cries and the sound of blasters. Han. Sounds like an attack in force. Chewie, turn on the... But Chewie growls an urgent warning. It is answered by deep, grinding voices. Leia. There! Over there! Something moving! The hangar. The swinging flashlight beams show huge, dim, white shadows moving in the darkness, sliding swiftly just beyond the edges of the light. Suddenly, one of the workmen goes flying with a scream, broken by a huge paw. His flashlight goes too. Chewie fires his blaster. Luke, Leia, get inside the ship. He draws his lightsaber and activates it. The blade sheds its strange radiance. Everybody is pulling blasters. The white shapes move very swiftly, elusive targets. The ship next to the falcon in the bay goes over with a crash. The falcon itself begins to shake. Chewie runs forward, firing at a white shape by the stern. A flying piece of wreckage knocks the blaster from his hand. Roaring, he grapples with the beast. As wreckage and containers are hurled, the second workman is killed. Han runs toward Chewie and the beast. Chewie is huge himself, but he looks child-sized by comparison with his adversary. He is also becoming covered with frost where the snow creature touches him. A human would have been dead by now. Wookies are made of tougher stuff, but is not long for the world. Han runs toward him for a close shot at the creature. As he does so, another one of the creatures attacks Luke. Luke wields the lightsaber. The beast easily eludes it and knocks Luke spinning. A glancing blow. It rears over him for the death blow. Leia screams, Luke! She runs toward him firing, but misses as she is knocked down by a piece of debris hurled by the third creature. Han perforce turns aside to help Luke. The snow creature turns to attack him, but he fires and the creature vanishes back into the darkness, whether hit or not. Han hauls the half-stunned Luke to his knees snarling. The Force is not with you today, kid. Get out of this. He runs back toward Chewie. Leia, unhurt, is now firing coolly from a kneeling position. Over here, Luke. I'll cover you. But Luke, crushed and humiliated, stays where he is, the shining saber lying on the ice beside him. Han runs in and gets off a close shot into the dim white body of the snow creature. There is a sound, like an avalanche of boulders. Both Chewie and Han go flying, When they look up, the creature has vanished and everything around them is quiet, though there are still sounds of turmoil in the distance. I don't believe those things. Just one of them shook the falcon, and yet they're like phantoms. He scrambles up and goes to Chewie, who is picking himself up, growling, wincing, and saying bad things in Wookiee. Luke picks up the saber and gets unsteadily to his feet. Leia comes to him. Luke, are you hurt? Luke is staring at the saber and does not look at her. No, I'm fine. Luke turns and starts away. Leia looks worried. Han has been brushing the frost from Chewie's fur. A little moth-eaten, but I guess you'll do. Chewie growls. Get the lights on and we'll check for damage. Hey, Luke, where are you going? Wait a minute. Chewie climbs into the Falcon. Han catches up with Luke. Luke, Han, and Leia. Listen, I'm sorry I was so
2: rough. I didn't mean it. It's just that... Luke, those lightsabers were ceremonial
0: weapons, even for the Jedi Knights. They're deadly, sure they are, but only at close quarters, hand to hand, and that snow creature was just too fast for you. Luke hasn't recovered yet, Han. He's still weak. You don't have to defend me, Leia. He's right, I almost got all three of you killed. The point is, you're going to get yourself killed. I know old Ben got you all excited about the Knights and the Force and all that stuff. But you've got to stop daydreaming, kid. You're not a Jedi Knight, and you never will be. The Falcon's landing lights come on, illuminating a part of the hangar deck. Leia, sorry for Luke's distress and anxious to break up the talk, interrupts. Well, that's better. Willard's voice, off screen. Princess Leia! Willard, with a hand lamp, now comes running into the deck area from the war room, calling. I'm here, Commander. Thank heaven, you'll be safer in the war room, if there's any safety anywhere. Luke deactivates the saber, watching the light die. Leia to Willard. What's happening? Everything. Starts to lead her away. I've got to check out the falcon. He goes and Leia motions Willard to stop. Come on, Luke. Her gentle sympathy is more humiliating to Luke than a blow. It is the ultimate wound. He holsters the saber. Willard and Leia start on again, and he trails after them, looking as if he had been whipped. In space. The Empire fleet approaching the system of the ice planet. Interior, Darth Vader's ship, the bridge. Darth Vader and the officer are on the bridge, looking through the forward port. Officer, there is the system, Lord Vader. There are four planets. Which one? Vader's black gauntlet rises and points like the hammer of doom. The outermost. There. Camera zooms in on the port, on the little icy ball glittering in the light of its primary. Off-screen voice. Attention Attention, all fleet units. units. Assume Assume attack attack formation. formation. Attack Formation. formation. Dissolve to. Interior base series of shots. In dark corridors, men and women with handlamps run the wildly tossing beams glittering off the icy walls there is a confusion of voices shouts cries screams the deep grinding grumbling voices of the snow creatures a white on white specter emerges from a side corridor and tosses a man screaming to the roof of the corridor down which he's been running men clatter down emergency ladders the sound of shots echoes irregularly from off screen interior base the generator level bodies lie about amid wrecked equipment and debris there is a portal completely blocked with fallen ice from this icefall a pair of boots protrudes stiffly above the portal a sign hangs drunkenly generator room several engineering maintenance technicians run about through other doorways blasters in hand an engineer speaks into a portable self-powered radio unit he is understandably in shock engineer. Chief engineer! Squad three! Generator level! I have a damage report! Interior base, the war room. Lighted by hand lamps, the war room resembles the catatonic ward of a mental hospital. Technicians with nothing to do stand, too, beside their blacked-out panels. Everything is dead. Threepio and R2 stand quietly. Various officers and orderlies stand by, along with Princess Leia. Luke looks on. Willard is speaking into one of the self-contained walkie-talkie units. Commander Willard here. Go on. Intercut with engineer on generator level. Sir, the main generators... There isn't a generator room left. Relays are burnt out right across the board. Cables fused. Power surge of some kind. Willard. Have you checked the emergency generators? Engineer. Haven't had time yet. It's cold here. Getting colder. Willard, engineer, we need those air pumps going again. Engineer, the main pumps, they're wrecked. He's looking through another portal at a mass of twisted metal. Willard, the backup system, then. Get on it, man. Interior base, generator level. Engineer, yes, sir. He beckons to his squad, and they hurry after him into an adjoining corridor. Interior base, generator level. The engineer and his squad enter a chamber containing the emergency generators and a bank of pumps. They walk around quickly, inspecting the equipment. The engineer speaks into his radio. It looks all right. Power pack's intact. Pumps haven't been damaged. We'll have to start the generators manually. Suddenly, there are ghostly white shapes all around, and a man screams, And the deep grinding voices blot out human speech. Interior base, generator level. Running for his life, a man comes out of the generator room. As he runs, an overhead pipe bursts suddenly, drenching the man with water, which instantly freezes, encasing him in ice. The water itself freezes into a gigantic icicle. War room. In utter silence, everyone listens horrified to the sounds issuing from Willard's radio. Screams, the deep grinding voices. Then another explosion. The radio goes dead. Dadana! Hey, this is his first line. Dadana. This is why the creatures have been so quiet since that first attack. They were planning a concerted effort to drive us off their world completely. Willard. Well, they've succeeded. With no power and no air, we won't survive long. People are running past the room outside onto the hangar deck. The vanguard of people fleeing the terror below, a man comes in unceremoniously, panicky. Man, the water pipes are bursting. The water's freezing everything, freezing people right where they stand. The lower levels are filling up with ice. And those creatures, they're everywhere. Willard, get on to your evacuation area. To officer, pass the order. Clear the base immediately. He turns to Dodonna and Leia and the senior officers. Now we have to make a decision. Do we evacuate to the surface and try to find some way of combating these... These... I don't know what to call them. Mere beasts would be incapable of doing what they've done. And they're certainly not human. Or shall we bow to them and abandon the base entirely? Luke, who has been sitting quietly in his corner, with an increasingly strange look on his face, as if he listens to something far away, now speaks up. Leia, tell them to go. Now. They stare at him, and Leia puts her hand out to him. Why, Luke? What is it? I can't explain it. I just feel... danger. Dark. Reaching. Dodonna, not unkindly. This is too big a decision to be made on the basis of a hunch. We... The radio comes alive abruptly, a man's voice sharp with panic. Man's voice on radio. Condition red! Condition red! Does anyone read me? Willard into radio. Commander Willard here. Interior, base, upper radar installation. In one of the hollowed-out ice towers of the castle, two radar technicians stare at a screen. The screen shows a large number of unmistakable blips. One of the men has the radio. Sir, this is Radar Installation 6, operating on power pack. Our screen shows ships approaching, attack formation, a whole fleet heading straight for us. Intercut with Willard in the war room. A wave of shock has gone around the room as this news penetrates. White-faced, Willard asks a question. How long do we have? Radar man. Estimate contact in... 20 minutes. Interior war room. Leia looks at Luke, who shakes his head as if not quite believing it. Willard puts down the radio. Dodonna is already barking orders to subordinates. Find out how many guns we've got operative up there. We'll hold out as long as we can to cover the evacuation and get those people moving. An officer comes up. Sir, shall I scramble the fighters? No. We can't stop to pick them up. And there's no point in wasting good men. We're going to lose enough as it is. Willard has gone to Leia. Princess, you must go now, at once. Leia. Wait a minute. Luke, in case of evacuation, you and R2 and 3 P L were supposed to go with Han, weren't you? Yeah, we were all kind of extra personnel. Well, you can't do that now. Willard. And I'm afraid some of the droids will have to be left behind. A shudder goes through Threepio, and R2 whistles plaintively. Luke, fiercely. Not these two, unless you want to leave me with them. Leia. My spacer will hold five if R2 doesn't mind being crowded a little. R2 indicates that he won't mind at all. Threepio all but faints. Oh, whatever his line was is is cut out. Let's say he said... Oh, thank you, Mistress Leia. You're most kind. I don't know. Leia looks around. Sedge! A pilot in a flying suit shoulders his way to Leia and salutes. Oh, there you are. Let's go. I've got to warn Han. He must get away. They all move out of the war room into the increasing tumult and confusion beyond. Interior base, third level. The group hurrying toward the hangar deck. Leia. You couldn't have known a fleet was coming. Luke. I didn't. It's crazy. What I felt was like the Force, but... The dark side of the Force. That's what Ben called it. Darth Vader. Could be. We know he was picked up by an Imperial ship. Hey, you've got to get away if he takes you again. Han's more important than I am right now, and... Look there! Interior base, the hangar deck. In the distance, the Falcon stands in the bright pool of its lights. Han and Chewbacca, with welding equipment, are working on one of the aft lifting vanes. Leia runs toward the Falcon. Luke to Threepio. Help Sedge get R2 into the spacer. Starts after Leia. Sedge. I can manage. There's a magnetic hoist right over there, but there's no power to open bays. See if you can open the manual controls. Leia's spacer is much smaller than the Falcon, in another bay across from where the Falcon is. Men are already straining to open the doors. Reluctantly, Luke looks after Leia and goes with Threepio in the opposite direction. The two of them begin to heave on the manual control wheel, which resists. Interior base. Series of quick shots. Men with battery-powered loud hailers run along the corridors. Condition red. All personnel to evacuation areas. Move. And the people are moving, running through the corridors, swarming up ladders. Bodies lie about here and there. Get to your evacuation areas. He turns a corner and skids to a halt, staring in horror. The people in the corridor ahead are frozen, encased in ice. Huge icicles descend from the pipes. The man turns to run. The pipe overhead ruptures, and he too is frozen. The hangar deck. At the Falcon, Han and Leia are shouting at each other. Imperial or night, we can't fly until we get this fixed. We'll hurry up. Exterior base day. On the snow plain in front of the ice castle, Imperial ships land. The transports disgorge great tank-type crawlers and armored troopers. Gun emplacements in the upper castle open up. The tank guns fire back. Troops and tanks attack the ice castle. Interior base, the hangar. The rumblings and shocks of heavy gunfire are transmitted from above. Men and women pour into the hangar deck. Into the ships. Loud hailer's bellow. The Falcon. Leia, hugging herself with cold and impatience, watches Han and Chewie. Aren't you finished yet? I could do better with a needle and thread. Luke and Threepio, in the opposite bay. They're still wrenching at the wheel. The bay doors have begun to open. Luke is looking nervously over at the falcon. The pilot, Sedge, has just finished lifting R2 into the spacer with a magnetic hoist. Threepio. This mechanism appears to be partly frozen. Luke. No wonder. It's awful cold. There. I think it'll go now. Threepio, get Princess Leia. Threepio sets off. The pilot begins to back the hoist away. Luke heaves on the door, looking after Threepio who disappears into the crowd. Exterior, base, day. Imperial troops and tanks hammer at the ice castle. Tank guns and castle guns carry out a vicious duel. Casualties mount on both sides. Part of the ice castle collapses, shattered by cannon fire. Interior, base. Quick shots of corridors collapsing, people running to escape. The hangar deck. At the Falcon, Threepio runs up to Leia. Chunks of ice begin to fall from the roof. People are struck, injured, killed. Threepio. Princess Leia, Master Luke says to come now. Just a minute. To Han and Chewie. Hurry. Threepio tries to protect Leia from falling ice. Han. We're doing our best. Why don't you just get out? The roof. Camera ponders for a moment on the network of pipes. Sedge. In another part of the bay, he has parked the lift out of the way and is climbing down to return to the spacer when a pipe overhead bursts and he is frozen in the act. Luke, he sees this, horrified. The bay door is open now. Sedge. He begins to run toward the falcon. He sees Han and Chewie jump down at last, their repairs completed. Leia! Another overhead pipe lets go, spurting water in a curtain between him and the falcon. Some people are caught and frozen. Han snatches Leia out of the way, but Threepio is frozen in a thin casing of ice by the edge of the spray. Luke halts, cut off. Dimly, he can see Han thrust Leia up the steps into the falcon. Chewie picks up the rigid Threepio and carries him after. The hatch slams shut. Exterior base day. The battle continues. Imperial troops are forcing an entrance. The hangar deck. The Falcon takes off through the bay doors. Luke runs for Leia's spacer as more of the ceiling falls in. Interior cockpit spacer. Artu is beeping wildly as Luke straps himself into the pilot seat and scans the controls. Luke, Chewie took three P.O. into the Falcon. I think you'll be all right. Quiet down. I've got to figure these controls. He figures them quickly and starts punching buttons. The hangar deck. The spacer takes off. Interior, spacer, in space. Luke is dropping the ice planet behind him as fast as he can, which is very fast indeed. Luke, into helmet mic. Falcon, do you read me? Interior, Falcon, in space. Han and Chewbacca at the controls. Leia looks out of a port. The frozen 3PO reposes stiffly where Chewie put him. Han. Yeah, Luke, you okay? Off like a skyrocket. This thing really moves. How is everybody? All healthy. Luke's voice on radio. 3PO? he will be all right when he thaws. Leia. Now that that's all settled, we'd better move. Look there. Her POV. Imperial ships are rising from the planet, pursuing the ships which are taking off, including the Falcon. Interior Falcon. Han and Chewie see the ships, and Chewie growls. Han into radio. Where ships, kid? How will we find you again? Interior spacer in space. Never mind that now. Just go. Look out. He cracks on more speed. Interior falcon in space. Hang on. He pours on the coal. Leia, hanging on, watches the distant ships through the port. Oh, interesting. Okay, so here's a deleted couple of lines. Leia says... Can't you go into hyperspace? Han says. Not till we get farther out. There's a thing called gravity. There's also a thing called an imperial destroyer, and it seems to be coming our way. Interior, spacer, day. Luke is nursing every last ounce of speed out of the fighter. R2 beeps a questioning note. If you're asking where we're going, little friend, I don't know yet. At least we don't seem to have anybody on our tail. In space the spacer streaking through space at tremendous speed. Interior base. Darth Vader stands amid the shambles of the base, speaking to an unhappy-looking officer. We haven't found him among the prisoners, Lord Vader, unless he's buried in one of the tunnels. No, he lives. Leave me, you incompetent idiot. The officer is glad to scuttle away. Darth Vader stands and the pattern of his breathing changes. Darth Vader, very softly, Luke Skywalker. Interior spacer in space. Luke shakes his head. It is suddenly difficult for him to breathe. What's the matter? I can't breathe. Luke checks the oxygen system. No malfunction. His face changes. Realization. Horror. No, no, I won't. I won't but inexorably he is losing consciousness. With the last of his strength, he unholsters the lightsaber. Desperately, he releases the crystal. r He sags in the harness, unconscious or dead. R2 extends an auxiliary arm and picks up the crystal, beeping and whistling. And while in a general tone of why does everything happen to me and humans are the oddest contraptions, placing the crystal in the slot, he punches out some coordinates on the little navigational computer and then flips a toggle. In space, the spacer vanishes into hyperspace, leaving only a brief flicker behind. Interior base. Darth Vader relaxes. Goodbye, Luke Skywalker. He turns and stalks from the room. Dissolve too, in space, the Falcon racing through space. Some distance behind it, a much larger ship is closing fast. Interior Falcon in space. Leia, there's an Imperial destroyer closing on us. The Falcon lurches as a shot from the destroyer bursts astern. That was too close. Leia, can't you go into hyperspace? Another blast rocks the ship. Han takes evasive action. Need a destination. Can't jump blind. And I can't take you to Oven Marakal. Weren't you given a rendezvous point for your group? I can drop you there and go on. Leia pulls a cord from around her neck. A small metal cylinder, like a locket, depends from it. Yes, just a minute. These things have to be opened the right way. I know, they're anti-personnel bombs in case they get into the wrong hands. Don't blow it, but don't fiddle around either. Here it is. She extracts a metal clip and starts to give it to Han when a near-miss or a glancing hit almost throws the Falcon over. Red lights glow on the panel. Just a second too late, Princess. That one shook some connections out of our overdrive generator. Keep her going, Chewie. I'll see what I can do. He crowds back past Leia toward the generator hatch, passing Threepio on the way. The droid is still encased in ice, but visibly dripping. Muffled sounds come from Threepio's voice box, but Han ignores them. He disappears through the hatch while the Falcon dances and leaps wildly. Leia clings close to Chewbacca, who is outdoing himself as a pilot. In space, running battle, Falcon and Destroyer. The Falcon darts and swerves as the larger and faster Destroyer inexorably overhauls it. Bolts of energy from the Destroyer's guns burst brightly. Interior, Leia and Chewbacca. What's he doing down there? Chewbacca makes a series of growling noises, as if wishing that Han would get the lead out of his spanners. On the other hand, if the damage is too severe... What if he can't fix it? Again the Falcon leaps and yaws. Chewie grunts. Even I can understand that. In space, running battle. Falcon and Destroyer. The Destroyer pressing hard after the Falcon. Her time is running out. Interior Falcon. Threepio is moaning and muttering through the ice unintelligibly, as his still partially rigid body is thrown about. Leia is still with Chewie. There's a particularly violent lurch, and Chewie's grumblings, accompanied by an anxious look around the fabric of the ship, mean that the ship won't hold together too much longer. Suddenly, on the panel, the red lights go off. Chewie turns demandingly to Leia, talking a blue streak, holding out one paw urgently. She hesitates, then hands him the metal chip. He thrusts it into the computer. Han emerges from the hatch just as Chewie slams in the hyperdrive. The blazing stars become streaks of light as the falcon makes the jump into hyperspace. It's suddenly quiet. Chewie, just supposing that that had been a false reading on the panel and I hadn't really finished the repairs. Chewie gives the Wookiee equivalent of a shrug. Yeah, I guess you're right. Shaken by the swiftness and violence of everything that has happened, and the abrupt cessation, for the moment anyway, of danger. Everybody undergoes a reaction. Han sinks down in the pilot chair. Han to Chewie. Nice going. Leia sinks down in the cabin. Nice going for both of you. For a while there, I didn't think. What is it, Threepio? He is still making muffled noises. Leia goes to him and with her fingers cracks the mask of ice covering his face. Oh, that's much better. Thank you, Princess Leia. Do you think it would be too great an annoyance if I were to ask for a little bit of oil to prevent my joints rusting? Fade out. Okay, so I guess that's where we'll leave it. Uh, It just felt like a natural stopping point there, leaving the the ice planet, and Luke and Han and Leia going their separate ways. It's just a, it's a good midpoint of the story, and uh, I've already r- recorded and mostly edited the second half, so uh, it shouldn't be too long. If people if people are excited to find out what happens next, there there is some really surprising uh, bits, especially in the second half. But more surprising, I think, are the things where you recognize that from Empire Strikes Back. And there are a couple of parts with the Jedi Master, Minch, in the second half, where it's it's like a translation of a book from a different language, where you recognize <laughs> that the the language is different, but it's saying the same thing. Yeah. And then there are there are major points of divergence and then there are other bits that are, are 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 complete parallels for example we get an asteroid chase and my my thought is that lucas had these ideas of things that he wanted in his sequel like some set pieces and confrontations and story aspects and that that's why They're in both the Kasdan version and the Brackett version. But I don't know for sure. I'd have to sit down with Lawrence Kasdan and say, did you use Lee Brackett's script as a jumping-off point, or did you go back to this story outline that Lucas had written, and you just went from there?
1: Yeah, according to this article I I was reading, Lucas and Brackett kind of had a week-long conference where they just talked about everything and Lucas kind of told her what, what he was envisioning, then she took that time, or maybe she was working on it at the same time, and and started hashing out the screenplay from that.
0: But do we know anything about how long it took her to do this? Did she know she was dying? Did Lucas
1: know she was dying? Yeah, I, I hadn't found anything about that, but I, I would think with cancer, she unless it was a surprise and killed her, quickly i i would think she would know
0: yeah I've, I've i've no idea but i mean there are people that have cancer for years and years and you know it slowly saps them yeah or they have a, a recurrence and it, this time they don't beat it but the 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 thing that you have to ask yourself is had she not died what what kind of empire strikes back would we have seen this presentation that i do i do the voices and all that stuff but this isn't what we would have seen on screen very rarely do you ever get the first draft shot there would have been revision and and rewrite and changes i mean even on this there were revisions and rewrites and i i've tried to include bits that she's excised herself Although it could easily have been Lucas that said, so she crossed that bit out and changed it, but never had time to type it up. It's just handwritten on the page. Yeah, movies, scripts evolve, and they, you know, little bits here, whereas you're given the draft and then said, okay, tighten this bit and this bit, and I don't think that this part is working. Cut this whole bit and re-envision this sequence. And after doing that over and over, it almost doesn't even compare the first draft with the shooting script.
1: Right. And then even in production, you know, we know that with Empire Strikes Back, things were changed, like with the I love you, I know scene and stuff like that. So I think every movie probably has elements of changing during production as well. Yeah. Or Jaws. That,
0: that's that's definitely the case. And uh, we, we just the last episode or two episodes ago, we were talking about the deleted Wampa scene. The the Wampa's inside Echo Base. And that all of that is cut out, you know, with the Wampa's getting the Snow Troopers, which I'd still love to see <laughs> in some way. I, I mean, it's on the, the, I think the Blu-ray. It was never on the DVD. And it's really primitive and really badly done in that deleted scene but edited together and done properly i think that that would be a fantastic sequence and really really fun because it's always fun to see the bad guys get it you know what i mean (laughs) it's just seeing rebel soldiers torn apart and stuff by these creatures like it is in this script it's it's not necessarily fun there's almost no fun with the Assault on the ice planet, right? Uh, because it's mostly monsters attacking our good guys, and we don't get like the walkers and this triumphant moment with Luke taking down the walker and and all that. Right, you know, yeah. that stuff is so great, and you just have the. I I don't know why I can't think of words today, but just <laughs> you feel so good watching Wedge take down that that at And I remember Lucas saying that they specifically put the big battle sequence at the beginning of Empire Strikes Back because the ending of that film was going to be much more personal. Vader and Luke and then the rescue. And so, yeah, you get your big cheering moments and stuff. Maybe, maybe audiences cheered when the Falcon went into hyperdrive at the very end of the movie. I'll never know. (laughs) But I'm sure they cheered when they blew up that it, and all the little rock pieces came down. You know, Yeah, just so
1: cool. Yeah, definitely had a different feel to it in this first part without the walkers, without the impending Imperial. I mean, the Imperials just kind of show up at the end after they're already evacuating the base. So that was interesting. Yeah, you know since i haven't read the second part i don't even know if luke skywalker's alive in the second part of this movie because oh cuz he loses consciousness it appears right that he loses consciousness <laughs> that was interesting too i thought that vader reaches out and tries to kill him using the force instead of killing all of his imperial officers are there goblins in the in the first half
0: or are they only in the second half
1: I think they must be only in the second half. Oh, okay, but we but the Wampas are like
0: they—they they like go sharks, through the right? snow
1: like sharks go through the water. So <laughs> that was interesting.
0: Yeah, well, we'll have more to say on the the second half, and we'll talk a little bit about I think, the the moments that we like and the moments that we don't. I mean, obviously, nothing is going to compare to the Empire Strikes Back that we have seen, because I, we talked about this. I. Kazden did, I think, four drafts of the script. And then, of course, Kirshner did his filmmaking and then the, the editing, and then ILM with all their stuff, and then John Williams, and <laughs> right. you know, the just reading the script, reading the shooting script for Empire Strikes Back is not going to be as amazing as seeing the movie. But it's still a fascinating document to see this this Empire that could have been. I hope that people dig it and can't wait to find out the the rest of (laughs) it. To to be as shocked as I am when Luke Skywalker's
1: father shows up. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely... He talked about his father in this episode, or in this part of it, but we haven't met him yet. So So yeah, we definitely have more to look forward to uh, with the second half of this. And uh, we'll be bringing that to you shortly, thanks to all the efforts of rish here appreciate you taking the time to do all that i know it's it's a long recording session and then it's a long editing session longer editing session and uh yeah you've done it all all on your own so i appreciate you doing that and bringing it here on the podcast well it was a a labor of love it was
0: one of my new year's resolutions for 2020 is to, to do this episode
1: and so Will hopefully be able to mark that off in September. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, as we've been going pretty long here, we should probably sign off. But I did want to mention briefly the passing of a another Star Wars alumni, uh, Wilford Brimley passed away, and he was known for many many things in different movies and TV shows and advertisements. But we know him here in Star Wars as Noah from. The Ewoks' Battle for Endor, which is a movie I still have not seen.
0: Oh, uh, really? I, I remember <laughs> you were trying to track down the DVDs.
1: Yeah, but uh, I, I have seen scenes with him in there, but I have not seen the movie. But he's a Star Wars alum. So thanks, Wolford, <laughs> for bringing us the Battle for Endor. <laughs> or helping us win the Battle of Endor. Uh, well, until next time, I guess everybody uh, take care of yourself and watch out for snow sharks.
0: I've got nothing beyond that. <laughs> yes, uh, he, he's right. Snow sharks,
1: ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Lies!
2: Deceptions! Creative Commons license will save us. Attribution? Non-commercial? No derivatives? Did you come here to sell my files? Oh, got it. Can see your thoughts. Do you think you can change them? it. We'll learn the truth. Share this with everyone. Save the journey. Save the dream.
1: I did want to talk briefly about Wilford Brimley.
0: <laughs> oh, because he has a Star Wars connection, doesn't he?
1: <laughs> he does. <laughs> I just thought of that. Noah is his character, I guess.
0: He was in Battle for Endor or he was in Ewok Adventure?
1: I think, well, he was definitely in Battle for Endor. I think he might have been in both of them.
0: Uh, I, I don't. You don't think so. I, yeah he I, I remember him only being in one.
1: Oh, okay, okay.
2: We'll help you keep your diabetes under control. You can choose to feel sorry for yourself. I hope you don't.